Hello, welcome adventurers to the Travelogue, a podcast in which I, Stephen Hoffert, my pronouns are he, him, and Lily Lavin, she, her, will be diving into the world of Faerun from the Dungeons and Dragons tabletop role-playing game. We will go area by area, town by town, to provide a background of canonical lore, as well as suggestions on what type of encounters you can run in an area, or what type of character you create whose backgrounds are based in an area. This week we're covering Jokun and Succumber. This week, instead of asking Lily a question, I want to talk about a source book that was released by Wizards of the Coast and I think was missed by a lot of people. It is a source book that all proceeds go to charity, the Extra Life charity, and it's called Minsk and Boo Journal of Villainy. It's pretty cool. It's very cool. Yeah. Amazing, amazing art of different characters uh, who are contacts in these different places of Candlekeep, Baldur's Gate, Athkatla, Ushinthar. So yeah, amazing book. I think the art would be the best reason to buy this book. That and the group patrons. The group patrons are all fantastic. They give, um, there's one, the Church of Sin oh, yeah, group yeah, yeah. patron. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's very cool. That has, it has a, two twin brothers. One is a paladin and one is a cleric. And so the way it works is you have an early level contact and then a high level contact. And they have stuff that they can give you, magic items they can sell you, services they can give you that are concrete with prices. Some of them require skill checks. Some of them require, it's just so much more fleshed out than the one in Tasha's Mm -hmm. where in like in Tasha's it goes yeah the group patron might offer this kind of quest or this type of reward this one has charts and graphs specifically for what they offer and why your group would want to be part of this faction and my favorite one is the church of soon cleric can (laughs) at a certain level and for an amount of gold it's 1000 gold he will allow you to either be adopted or marry the daughter or child of a Baldur's Gate Duke. (laughs) And what this allows you to do is to change your subclass. Oh, God, that's so funny. Which is, I love that as a reward. You pay a thousand gold, you're the edgy rogue, and you're like, my parents were killed. (laughs) He has a thousand gold, Cleric of Soon. Get me new parents. (laughs) I'm now the nobility because I've been adopted, and I get to change my subclass from edge phantom to swashbuckler because that one is more fancy. Yeah, uh, (laughs) that's so good. Yeah, so like um, another example of the group patron here um, is that, uh, so Candlekeep Mm -hmm. can be a group patron. Right. And so Adventurer's Guild Arcane Secrets that you can get from Candlekeep with a proper Arcana check. If you have an Arcana roll bonus of plus eight, you gain access to the recipe needed to make a flame tongue. Mm. And you need need to force a salamander to forge it. You need a component of a Remoraz heart. And then you need 2,000 gold in other materials. If you would like to make a robe of stars, you must convince a cloud giant to help you forge it. You need the sail from a Githyanki astral ship. You need a plus 12 arcana bonus. And you need 20,000 gold. And I love this. These are like concrete recipes if you want to send your party to make magic items. Well, yeah, and making it like through like a heart of Remraz and stuff is so much cooler than just buying it. Yeah, like, yeah. It's also very cool when you like kill someone for a magic item, but like making it is so cool. Yeah, it's so cool. And then there's everybody's uh, ranger daddy here, um, Valigar Korthala. He is, uh, his art is fantastic. He is yep. middle-aged, white-haired, white dreadlocks. It looks so cool with a, a katana ranger yeah. who is addicted to potions of longevity, even though he's made it his life's goal to kill all wizards. <laughs> the only magic he uh, can stand for is potions of longevity, which he's addicted to. But uh, so he can provide you training. And well, he also provides you quests. He's uh, one of the contacts for Candlekeep. 
but he can um, switch a skill. It requires downtime of one day and then 10 days of your own training that you can do on long rests, and it costs 100 gold. Yeah, that's very You cool. can do a new tool proficiency for five days of downtime with him and then 40 days of your own time, and then you can do a new language. Really cool. Mm, very cool. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, really good. It's for charity. Highly recommend picking up this uh, this book. Succumber, a village of 900 folk, rests in the northwestern bank of the confluence of the Unicorn Run, the cool, clear river that runs down from the mysterious heart of the High Forest and Delimber, the watery road in the eastern wilderness of the High Frontier. Succumber stands on three hills atop the western fringes of a once mighty city that was a proud capital of a long ago human realm of Elanthar, Kingdom of the Stag. Folk digging cellars in Succumber usually turn up old cobbles and stone walls. Inadvertently freed gargoyles are a fearsome recurring problem, but sometimes magical treasures are unearthed. Succumber is a peaceful, rather boring village of fisherfolk, farmers, and stonecutters, and hired guides and guards for the frequent caravan traffic. Roughly half of all Succumberites are human. Almost as many are halflings, whose low gardened adorned homes with the hills of the village seem more terraced estate than a settlement. The remainder of the citizenry are a few dwarves of the Iron Eater clan and a scattering of gnomes and moon elves. Succumber has a garrison of 30 soldiers provided by the Lord's Alliance. They dwell in a small palisade fort atop one of the hills and trade a hundred or so locals in swordswork and rudimentary tactics. Many of these swing swords hire out as caravan guards. Succumber is also known for its gardens and eccentric architecture. We- if there's one thing I have learned through my own research into Farin lore and through this podcast, it's that mm. there are way more fucking halflings than you would ever expect. They're everywhere. Right. You go into everywhere. any city and it's just like yeah. this city consists of humans and halflings. This city consists of elves and halflings. This city is orcs and halflings. They're everywhere. I <laughs> it's it's so funny to me it's like it, it yeah they're just so yeah they, they get everywhere they're, they're it everywhere. shocked me they're <laughs> definitely the second most populous humanoid yeah. race in pharaoh oh, yeah. and it's 100 percent. it definitely surprised me because i'm used to like the yeah. shire you know and people being mm-hmm. like like in lord of the well, yeah, in lord of the rings no one even knows what a halfling is and then in D it's just like they're the second they're everywhere surprisingly enough they're the second they're they're yeah. the second most popular <laughs> race or populace which is like cool it's fine i'm not saying yeah. an opinion either way i just uh yeah they're, they're just everywhere it's just the, if you're playing in Faerun, your world should have a lot more people riding dogs in it than <laughs> you probably have <laughs> yeah exactly if, if, okay the amount of people you have riding dogs in your game currently at least triple it and you have <laughs> the right amount yeah <laughs> <laughs> it has become a target of recent raids the constant attacks have turned a city once renowned for its friendly atmosphere to a walled encampment of frightened and desperate people many adventurers have promised to clean out mishka's warren but all the village has received in return are retaliatory raids in which the hobgoblins leave behind the heads of the adventurers the villagers of succumber now leave regular tribute at the edge of the high moor as an appeasement to the urshani this generally works as an effective deterrent, but the wargs and hoggoblins still sometimes attack. Yeah, in the campaign that I'm a player in with Steven, we started out in Succumber, and yeah. the very first quest we did was to go get back some guy's sword that had been stolen by hobgoblins. It wasn't yeah, the very right. first quest, but it was one of the first. And we were, <laughs> we're like, we're going to beat them up and fight them all. We probably would have just been crushed. Yeah, we ended up sneaking <laughs> in to like, uh, their sleeping tent, and Steven's monk and my bard, who has uh, high decks, we went in and... Uh, 
shanked them in their sleep so that we didn't have to fight a camp full of hobgoblins. <laughs> this is a pretty fun quest. Yep. yep. Brother guys brought the guy's sword back and through the magic of having his sword back he stopped being an alcoholic <laughs> such magic <laughs> it was fantastic classic storyline yeah the seven stringed harp tavern stands as the meaning of two winding lanes in the lowest spot in town which is beside a horse pond in the center of the bowl between the three hills succumber is built on it is ramshackle, sprawling buildings of many wings, varying roof sections, and little bay windows and cupolas. It's easy to get lost inside, with all the alcoves, general dimness, odd setup, and steps up and down, and the prevalence of odd pieces of furniture and old tapestries salvaged from half a hundred old Waterdavian villas. Locals come here to meet and chat. Merchants come here to do business and hire guards. It's a hard spot to miss. It has a huge hitching rail outside, overlooked by a floating, glowing, faintly plain harp. A harp is not an item, but a permanent spell created by a local mage, Emilio Montas. It is not solid and can't be disturbed. This tavern is a place of pilgrimage for many minstrels and bards of Western Faerun. There is rarely a night without three or seven bards sorts in attendance, playing for free as tradition demands. Their presence makes this a noisy but thankfully melodic place. It's a fascinating place to watch people, too, with adventurers, pipe-smoking halflings, dancing gnomes, and gambling elves on all sides, but it's not a quiet place to relax or a place to conduct business best kept private. Kegfuls of drink- drinkables, salted biscuits spread with snails or small fish, and gurdats, pan-fried and pepper-spiced mushrooms rolled in melted cheese. These are served with a white, cool, minty wine. If requested, this tavern is most famous for a song played there the ballad of the Dreamweaver, and is now one of the most played songs in all of the realms cool. i like those little lore bits like that me too throw that song yeah it, yeah it's cool what well, one i like to know about this like very popular song too i personally love any food descriptions in dnd it's like yeah. one of my like favorite things in dnd in the campaign we were playing in succumber Steven's character was walking down the street and saw my character getting mugged in a back alley behind the seven-stringed harp by some bandits. They actually ended up being the bandit who we went and got his sword back right. and it made him stop being an alcoholic bandit and go back to work. But um, And this is how our characters got introduced because Steven was playing a lawful good monk, a follower of Lathander, and was like, stop brigands, and ran in and uh, combat initiative was rolled. And they were trying to steal my bard's fancy sword, because my bard is, of course, a... They're swords bards, so they're a good fighter, but of course they're bards, so they're a little twink, right? right. They're going to take on three bandits, and so then that's how our characters were introduced. One of the other characters was working at the seven-stringed harp and heard the commotion and came out and helped, and it was a... It was a fun way to have our characters introduced to each other. And then we went into the seven-stringed harp, yeah. and the rest of the bard's traveling troop had been murdered in the night, and... <laughs> we had to go on a quest to clear Killian's name. That was, that was a fun yeah, opening, good, fun opening fun. quest. And Emilior. Yeah. yeah, Emilio was fun. Emilio was just like a kind old man. Emilio was really yeah. fun. He was a kooky. Ho, 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 I'm the wizard. And we ended up, the first quest we did, classic D&D fashion, is kill rats in a basement, yeah. literally. <laughs> except this little kid's older brother had been breeding rats for them to eat because they were orphans and they didn't have any money and the rats had gotten out of their cages and there was too many of them and they killed this little orphan's brother and we were like <laughs> they almost is... killed us yeah they did a swarm of rats man and yeah. we were like this is this is dark and so yeah. we took the kid and convinced emilior to adopt little ban and train ban as a wizard and we were yeah, like it was great make the best out of this really 
dark situation here. <laughs> the spinning sprite inn faces the seven-string harp across a rather muddy meeting of lanes. The sprite is a slant-shingled, mini-gabbled, solid-looking stone building that is cold and damp in the winter and warmer and damp in the summer. It's always just damp. Its pleasant staff sets a tone for your visit, and it offers meeting rooms for hire and a superior feasting board. Food at the Sprite is a treat. The dining room never closes. Foremost of these dishes are known as three crabs. This, naturally enough, is three soft-shelled green river crabs yielded up locally by the Delimber. These are served whole with only the eyes, mouth, and stomach removed. Cooked in fat until golden brown, they face each other on a round toasted loaf of flatbread that has been spread with chopped greens and white sauce of cooked leeks and garlic, parsley vinegar, and beaten egg yolks. The light side dish that usually accompanies everything else in the dining room is a trio of trumpets. This plate of three fried crisp crackers, each as long as a human hand. These trumpets are horn-shaped crackers stuffed with melted white cheese, chopped nuts, and fried mushrooms. Roast lamb, venison, and beef make up most of the dishes at the Sprite, but there's another surprise not to be sneered at. The truly revolting-looking dish known as the Hungry Knight. The Hungry Knight plate of flatbread rolls stuffed with chicken livers fried in garlic butter and garnished with diced pepper tomatoes and dill. Its savor is wonderful. I gotta say, leek and garlic white sauce is one of my favorite foods, IRL. Oh, yeah? It's so good. Garlic white sauce in general and then leeks. Yeah, it's I just I love D and D food. I Ugh. love how often places Sounds are so like, good. then this one dish looks like garbage, but it tastes great. Yep. It's like half of all taverns have this. I love it. I know. It's like it's the worst looking thing on the menu, but boy howdy will you not leave unhappy. <laughs> uh Jokun, once known as Shining, is northeast of the Laughing Hollow. It stands on the banks of the River Shining, or Dilimber. As it is located roughly halfway between the two, it looks to Daggerfort and Secumber for supplies. However, it's home to farmers of independent mind. Jolkun, for whom the village is named, gave the hamlet of Shining new importance some 80 winters ago when he built a large stone mill and a shrine to Shanti. Jolkun is long dead, but his grist mill is still run by descendants and has been joined by a cloth yard mill that produces whole cloth for sale at Waterdeep or Om. This pastoral village of about 40 homes holds busy farm folk, pleasant gardens, low stone and stump walls, and hedgerows. There is impressive cat population kept in the town and the mill to keep down the rodents and birds who would otherwise eat the grain. Jokun is notable for an inn of surprising excellence and for some interesting local legends. I like that it has a bunch of cats. Yeah, me too. It's funny. I like that. It's... Yeah, I'd like to like just go in this, you know, pretty normal way stop town and yeah. just like cats everywhere. Cats on the roofs, cats on the uh, walls, like yeah. just cats everywhere. Long Saddle also has a bunch of cats. You could maybe create some sort of conspiracy if your players start being like, what's with all the cats <laughs> in these two cities? Uh, the cats? Weird cat conspiracy campaign drawn some ancient Egypt folklore or something. Uh, either way, yeah, that's cool. Nice little place. Nice tavern. Makes sense. People pass through here a lot. Makes sense that the tavern would be the crown jewel of the city. I think that something about Faron specifically that I think is both good and bad. It's very fantasy, I suppose, is the naming conventions for cities. I get it that Jolkun is named after some guy, I guess, but it's just a made up word, right? And it's really mm-hmm. funny to me that you can have Jolkun and Daggerford right next to each other. 
Right. You yeah. know, it's like you have you have Esmel Tehran and then Trade Me right next yeah. to each other. And it's like, what what is what is are they cool made up fantasy names or are we just taking two English words that are vaguely medieval and popping them together? But each one has a We're doing reason. both, I guess. <laughs> Lily, they got they got history. Yeah, I just think it's a... I mean, Jolkun is a better name than Shine. Yeah, I agree with that. I'm yeah. not saying this is a bad thing. I'm saying it's both a positive and a negative because I think it's a positive because it's cool to have a variety of names, but also the world is so diverse that it does make sense in canon because it's like it's named after a guy's name or it's named after something that happened here. But then it's also kind of... It can be a little jarring. Yeah. sometimes to go from you know velen to i don't know like dragon mouth or something right the jester's pride inn is named for the gesture of jolkun and is akin to a halfling hole or a druid's root house in appearance it's dug out of a hillside and planted over with a rock garden and rough stone walls the roots of trees overhead curve across the ceiling and many little round windows let in light to the south Dwarves, gnomes, and halflings all feel at home here, and those who don't detest caves and damp, earthy smells should also enjoy the charming tile-floored passages, which jaunt up and down in gentle slopes. The cheery service and luxurious furnishings should delight anyone. The inn is run by the Yevershoulder halfling family, half-elf servers, and seem to be frequented by those who harp. The Jester's pride underlies a wooden ridge that is surrounded by extensive herb and floral plantings. The ridge itself is crisscrossed by many meandering paths that link several little bowers with branches for guests to rest and relax. Fresh river trout on toast in a cream lemon sauce, venison, and many sauces made from the bounty of the garden are the province here. The wine cellar is excellent, and you may find Serlunian Glowfire and pale green wines of northern Kalimshan, among the more usual winter wine and local vintages. So I was imagining this ridge with water near it. And it said right. there's a water mill here, right? Or a mill. I guess that doesn't necessarily yeah, yeah. mean water. A grist mill, But yeah. uh, I like the idea of, like, um, this is really cute, too, and I really like this imagery. I think it's a nice change of pace i like whenever we have these descriptions from classic european architecture and stuff i like that it's all these little halfling hobbles and stuff with these kind of meandering pathways through the ridge with like these plants and stuff growing i like to think about the Mm -hmm. architecture of fantasy species i think it's interesting and i think this would be a nice little cute pit stop but i like the idea of this fresh river trout caught in the river running downtown that these uh like (laughs) on the side of the ridge and these crisscrossed by meandering paths have like multiple bridges that go over the ridge and like you know maybe some paths or even on the ceiling of some of the little hovel buildings or something uh (laughs) but um i like the idea of you're like oh this fresh river trout it says that you have it uh daily can i maybe try one of those and uh you know the halfling's like we need a river trout and toast and the guy's like all right to be 10 minutes we're out and then you see the chef come out with a fishing rod and just walk out the door and then in like five (laughs) minutes he comes back in with some trout that he literally just caught yeah that's great (laughs) i i I love that idea it's like oh sorry for the wait yeah (laughs) we threw in an extra piece of toast for it and the party is just like no that that was impressive i can't complain yeah that was, that was cool and then the party starts to think couldn't we just go outside and catch that fish why are we paying five gold for it here yeah i guess like two silver for it here uh, i think that'd be fun yeah i think that'd be great and like uh i could just imagine it too of like and i know halflings have pretty much the same 
kind of furnishings as humans. But when you go to Japan, they ask if you want a Japanese style room or a Western style right. room. And they're like, do you want a halfling style room or do you want a human style right, room? I like that. Some people enjoy the smaller I beds. also like how it's like, this place is perfect for dwarves, gnomes, and halflings. It's tiny. It's a hobbit hole. And then they're like, the, the servers are half elves. Like, they must be cramped. Yeah. Or they like they all have like back problems from bending over these vines that are coming from the roof or something, you know? I love that. It's yeah. like, ow, are you okay? As I hit my head on one of these roots again. You can see here there's like a spot on one of the roots where like the bark is pretty much gone and doesn't grow there anymore because this right. uh, half elf keeps bumping their head in the same spot. That's great. The jester for whom the inn is named was a local thief adventurer of mysterious powers. He seemed to have been an acrobat of astonishing skill and commanded exotic magics. He disappeared some 20 summers ago, but enjoyed a colorful career of robbing rich merchants, nobles, and wizards who came through the area. The jester was a man of unusual height who hid his identity behind a jester's mask. The bells of his headgear were silent and were actually magical tokens of various sorts that afforded him lucky escapes on many occasions. Several of his victims hunted him with ready spells or many swords or both, and he somehow outfaced them and sent them fleeing. The hired swords slain and their plans shattered, the jester vanished suddenly, leaving his lair and whatever he managed to keep of the vast amounts of treasure he wrestled from the rightful owners. A king's treasury worth of coins, gems, finery, and magic awaits hidden somewhere in Jolkun, some stories say the lair is elsewhere, reach via invisible gate in midair above a local room. I think that this would be a really cool kind of first quest. Yeah, yeah. You know, your cool. party already knows each other. Mm-hmm. You know, they've already, whatever, instead of starting in a tavern, you could even start in the tavern. It doesn't matter. They, you start the campaign with you have recently arrived in Jalkoon looking for this treasure. Done. Right. You know, I think that'd be a really fun kind of quirky, cute first because you could make whatever dungeon this is hidden in, the first dungeon of the campaign, like you could fill it full of, you know, quirky bard stuff mm, rather yeah. than terrifying necromancer stuff. You know, there's a lot of illusions and spells and glyphs of warding that cast vicious mockery that specifically call out things the players have bungled recently. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. And I think you could make a really cool, like, kind of reoccurring thing in your campaign if at the end part of the treasure was the jester's mask yeah. with his magical tokens and if they start wearing that, that then maybe word gets out and some people that the jester yeah. wronged are I looking like for like oh the jester's I also really like this mask with the magical tokens and yeah. the silent bells slightly off topic and i know this guy wasn't a real jester but the other day and this is maybe good world building for listeners if they don't know this but mm-hmm. the other day maybe two weeks ago i learned that jester wasn't like a court fool and was one of the top political advisors of kings. Oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, because so the thing was, is the jester was the only one in the realm in medieval Europe that was allowed to speak openly to the king. Okay. They, they had no rules around what they were allowed to say to the king because in their appointed position, they had to be able to make fun of the king. So they right. were the only person in the court that could say to a king, this idea is stupid and you should feel bad for having it and, <laughs> and not be murdered for it, right? Right. So because of that, they became like some of the top advisors and politically powerful people in realms. And I did not know this. 
Oh, yeah, that's cool. I did not know yeah. this, and that is super freaking cool. And I think more people should implement this into their D&D games because that's wicked cool. You never expect the court jester to be like the main battle tactician or something, like a major political player. Yeah, yeah, no, that's great. I mentioned this to my partner and they were like, oh yeah, I knew that. And I was like, what? Why didn't you tell me? You're hiding this knowledge? That's so cool. (laughs) Well, did you know that this is a jester, but a medieval performer, kind of like a jester, there were flatulists and they were famous for farting really well. Yeah. And there was a there's a jester who under one of the English kings was contracted to um it was some sort it was like pass wind in a hop once every so year. So I think the lesson here is that every DM well world building should make one a farting jester and two a yeah. very actual politically powerful jester. I think they're underutilized and I think learning this new actual political position of them could open up some doors for some uh political intrigue bard jesters i mean if you're not a coward you can make them both and it's like you have True. a person who's very serious uh, who's very serious and has a, a sound mind for politics but also farts yeah, for money i love that well no but that's the thing is though is they weren't just political <laughs> advisors they were still the yeah. jester so right. like you'd, you'd go to court right and have the fancy ball or dinner and when it came time for the entertainment the jester would come out you know he would fall over some crates he would fart he would make a fool of himself he would juggle he would do everything a jester does apparently yeah. roasts roasts were really big he would okay i could see that they, they yeah. would roast the king and they would roast the other nobles because again they were the only one that was allowed to speak openly without punishment and yeah. then you would sit there laughing at this fool and this comedian and then sit back and think that guy is responsible for like four wars <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> which i just love that kind it's of dichotomy or juxtaposition of position the juxtaposition is, is just fantastic yeah, you know he gets up off his ripped pants that he just farted out of with a pie on his face walks into the bath back room and goes king you are a fool for allowing the uh, Cormirian government here. You know that they are planning this, right? I think we should stage an assassination <laughs> after this. And the king's like, why? And the jester's like, because you're an idiot not to. It's great. And then the king listens, maybe. I don't know. It's great. I love it. Yeah, it's very good. The Laughing Hollow is an eerie, shadowed place up the Delimber River from Daggerfort and is known as an area where the fey beings reside. Even in the daylight, the shade from the omnipresent trees gives a perpetual twilight effect. This is a place meant for elves, not men. The trees and brush are occasionally broken up by warm, light-filled glades and larger clearings holding small lakes. Miria was once a quarry worked by the dwarves, is rumored to contain a passageway into the dwarves' old home. Reputed to be full of treasure, no one has found the entrance or lived to tell about their discovery. Some travelers report having seen and even spoken to the King of the Woods, the chieftain of the wild elves in the area. To travelers simply wishing to pass through, he's said to be gruff and impatient at his yeah, worst. Yeah, see... This both these cities, Daggerford um, and Jalcoon, are really shaping up to be really good. I feel like they're just very good campaign starting areas because this to me sounds like another really good kind of early on, you know, level two or three quest line to throw in there. Mm-hmm. Work your way yeah. up in these small cities that have these, uh, you know, whisperings of lost treasure that your players have to go and find. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's pretty cool. Maybe they find some hints from the wild elves why they're like this that can uh, eventually come full circle at level seven, you know, with your main campaign. By now, they're done in water- Daggerford, but they found, you know, that one little coin that they were like, I don't know what this does in this dwarven ruin. And then 
10 levels later, they're like, yo, it was so cool how you dropped that coin in the very first dungeon. I didn't even realize it opened up into this big thing. But mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, and you get some just good fantasy tropes of like halfling villages, yeah. age of men, elves kind of being pushed away and like the dwarves in decline. Yeah, you know? I also think that um, Faerun is lacking in these kind of more um, elves of the old ways. You know, mm-hmm. and this King of the Woods chieftain of wild, more feral. They didn't use the word feral, but you know, more like wilderness, wild leaning elves. Yeah, yeah. I think I agree. that that is a, yeah, it's a subdivision of elves that we've kind of, I don't know, lost in D and D somewhere along the way. It doesn't come up very much, and I think it's kind of cool. You know, of the old ways, druids that are, you know, they're not evil, but they're making blood sacrifices of animals and stuff, you know? And I think that's really cool. Well, yeah, you say we lost it, and we kind of did, because wild elves were a subclass of elves in, I think, f- up to 3 or even yeah, 40, uh, which were the Selka, Tessier, or whatever. But yeah, they were the wild elves, and they were supposed to be more like, you know, almost primal. Yeah, see, I think that's really cool. I think Sel, I don't know, that might just be the word for elves. But either way, yes, we uh, bring <laughs> back the wild elves. It's cool. Yeah. The fortified compound of Black Helm Tower squats atop a low hill located about a day's ride north and east of Daggerford. It is home to Gilamar Firefoster, current holder of the Black Visor Office of the High Heralds. Gilamar is rarely in attendance because his position requires much traveling and magically assisted communication. The Black Visor is deeply involved in the current politics of Western Faerun keeping track of the intrigues, changing attitudes, treaties, and shifting balance of power. He also keeps records of all peace treaties and formal declarations of war, and reports on their fulfillment to the Heralds, the Lord's Alliance, and the Merchant's League. Gilmar does grant audiences when he is in residence. So I like how we're slowly finding all the Herald offices in Faerun. It feels kind of like a side quest for the podcast. Yeah, this is, I didn't know this faction existed until, like, I think I've heard the Herald's, Herald's mentioned before the podcast, but I just never paid attention to them. Yeah. But I didn't really know they existed before the podcast. And every time they come up again, I kind of like roll my eyes, you know, I, yeah. they're so funny. It's like, what is this fact? Who decided there was going to be a faction that is essentially the IRS for heraldry? Yeah, they're pretty much the IRS. <laughs> and, and like declarations of war and stuff. Like, they aren't the ones who say war is happening or not. They're the ones who's like, you didn't, you didn't file to end the war. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. They're just like, hmm, war is still happening. And, you know, uh, Baldur's Gate and Waterdeep are like, what are you talking about? We stopped that war like four years ago. Yes, but you did not officially declare it. So you are still at war, technically. Where is the peace treaty? And, you know, the open lords of both cities, the Duke of Baldur's Gate and the open lord of Waterdeep are both there just like rubbing their temples, being like, God damn it, who appointed this guy? <laughs> Look, okay. And they're like, nope, you are officially at war. In wartime, you are not allowed to do the thing you are about to do. And they're like, Jesus, okay, just give us a paper. We'll write a peace treaty. <laughs> it's like, first you must put in... Uh, article of, or like a yeah. form b and then i'll give you form b4 and then <laughs> right and they're like look we just want to trade some lumber and it's like well <laughs> at war you cannot we have rules it's so, it's so funny to me these guys are so, so ridiculous what, what is yeah. this who made them and why 
<laughs> if you want to get into the real nitty gritty, um, they would. They would be a really good little faction if you wanted to throw your party. A lot of the time, people talk about like, eh, how do I combat my party at level twelve? Blah 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 blah. And a good way to do it is have you know a, a fun alternate way to combat a party rather than just being like, here's Mephistopheles is you know here's the guy who's just you know a commoner stablock or noble stablock, so like a CR half. And right. the only difference is they have armor training. And yeah, you could kill them instantly with one cantrip. But the thing is, is you can't do that because it'll create war. He mm-hmm. is just, his power comes from politics. And right. that is a decent alternative mm-hmm. way to challenge parties rather than just, you know, demons or, you know, the strongest paladin in the world. And I think it can be used to interesting effects. And I think a cool way to do that if you wanted to, if you were getting sick of your party just being like, we can kill everything and we answer every problem with violence. A good way to do it is, you know, they show up and they go, hello, are you the Knights of the Twilight Fire? And they're like, yes, that would be us. And they go, here you go. Here's a sanction to cease and desist. You did not fill the proper paperwork for the heraldry or the name you are fulfilling and using right now. You are doing it illegally. And the players are like, what the fuck is this? And it's the heralds coming to be like, you did not officially do the things to do what you're doing. And they're trying to charge you a bunch of money. And I don't know. I think that could be maybe not what I was saying of a politically involved person. Depends how upset the party gets about this. (laughs) But I think it could be a funny interaction, kind of change of pace. (laughs) It would be good too of like, yeah, say they, they're they're getting these accolades, they're they're given land and they're given like a title and lordship. And then that's yeah, when like so next time they go to a town and like, oh we'll go deal with the knolls or we'll go stop that person for you, they're in this like whole new level of bureaucracy to the point where they're like maybe not knolls, but like to the point where they're like kind of wish for the simple days of uh just like going to the wilderness and fighting monsters and kind of making them like, you know, if your par- if your players are getting a bit ho hum and like oh it's the same old same old make it be like kind of wish for the simple days of of just being adventurers mucking around. Yeah. I think it could be uh, I think it could be a really funny encounter having the heralds yeah. come and just like sue the party. <laughs> In the early years of the Sword Coast, an alliance of dwarves, elves, humans, halflings, and gnomes formed a kingdom named Falorum. This union lasted less than a century. After it fell apart to the elves and dwarves leaving in the face of seemingly endless orc hordes. From that alliance came the Kingdom of Man. Primarily, the humans of the region had outgrown any need for an alliance with other peoples. Claiming all other territory that had once been part of Phalorum, King Yavalar II built a new kingdom called Delimbrian. Most of its populace was human, but the gnomes and halflings of the region who chose to remain within the alliance and submit to the new king's rules were welcome as well. To address the orc problem, the king constructed a chain of border castles along the eastern fringe of the high moor to keep the orcs of the area in check. Disaster then struck the young kingdom. Dark Mother Lond Worl, the reigning high priestess of Shar, brought death to all the true servants of Shar when trying to turn herself into a lich. Londra's disappearance and wholesale demise of the mistress of the knight's senior clergy shattered the power of Shar's church, inciting the undisciplined underlings to riot in cities along the Sword Coast. King David ordered his troops to clamp down on the violence, prompting a Sharian fanatic to martyr himself by assassinating the Limbrian's monarch. The king's death and the absence of a legitimate heir plunged the kingdom man into an ill-timed civil war. 
The following year, orc raiders from the High Forest overran many of the newly proclaimed splinter kingdoms of Delimbrian. The capital city of Delimbrian remained, only to be destroyed when a portal in the center of the city exploded, destroying most of the city and centering the people within it. This is a hilarious backstory for yeah. this region. Does that city become Daggerford? Does Daggerford get built there? Yeah. A hilarious yeah. backstory for Daggerford. They created this kingdom and it fell apart pretty quick. Yeah, it just like I just love that. I just love that the Shari the followers were like, wait, our head clergy are dead? Like, the Pope's dead? Riot! <laughs> Kill Riot. the king. The Shar <laughs> clergy is actually really funny because Shar is, like, total bitch to her own clergy. Right. Like, she's not a good god to worship. She, like, takes their powers away randomly, kills them randomly. She sucks. <laughs> and so right. they're, full of, they're full of fantastic lore like this, the Shar lore, just because she's so chaotic. Right. Even to her own clergy. Why would you worship Shar? She can just be like, you have no powers yeah. and you're naked forever now. <laughs> this is a yeah hilarious backstory. I love how the king was like, we need to clamp down on this violence. Whoop. Nope. I'm dead. Nope, like, was he just a nap? <laughs> I also really like how this uh, alliance formed, the Phalorm, and then was immediately yeah. abandoned. Like, yeah. <laughs> less than a century? Yo, a century to these people is, like, not even a decade. So it's like, what, what? what is... Could you imagine if NATO was formed and then, like, seven years later, they were like, yeah, never mind. Yeah, so the elves funny. are like, no, this place actually kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah, I love how it's we're like... Gonna go to Evermeet. The dwarves and the elves leave, too. The gnomes, the halflings, gnomes, and humans are sitting there just being like, what the heck, guys? <laughs> yeah, the hell? And the dwarves and the elves are like, nah, this was a mistake. You guys suck. Yeah, this place sucks. I hate it Which, here. <laughs> my favorite part of the dwarves and the elves leaving, too, are as they're like, gnomes are known to be fickle. Yeah. Humans are known to be constantly changing, and halflings just don't give a shit about anything. But dwarves and elves are specifically the two races known for doing the same thing for a very long time. Right. <laughs> so it's just like the humans and the gnomes, the dwarves and the elves leave, and the humans and gnomes and halflings are sitting there, and the halflings like look at the gnomes and the humans and are like, you know, I really thought you two were going to yeah. leave first. This is a surprise. It's very funny. Most traders dealing in the Delimber Vale avoid... Uluvin, instead using Delimber route west from Secumber, meeting up with the high road south of Zunderbridge. It's dusty, spartan place with few trees, thirsty throats, a bad tavern, and a surprisingly pleasant and clean inn. Uluvin's a sleepy place where peddlers sell trinkets and folks turn out to chat with travelers and hear the news. And spoilers, skip head like a minute. In 15th century DR, the settlement is dealing with a hill giant attack who seem to have an alliance with goblins in the area. What's this spoilers for? That's for uh, Storm King's Hunter. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So, yeah, what kind of quests would you run or kind of characters you make from this area? Really? I think, I mean, yeah, I think finding the classic fun one for like an intro adventure, which we mentioned, finding that jester's gold or hidden treasure, I think that would be a classic quest nice little beginner quest mm -hmm. also it'd be good because then you could introduce that uh, i think you could do some fun stuff with the jester mask with the silent bells like we were talking about maybe if they wear it around people recognize them as the you know bard from the folk tales yeah 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 that would maybe be really even cool. like you know assassins come around or people come up thinking that like oh help me you know right yeah yeah i like that Kinda take on the moniker of this bard kind of by mistake <laughs> I'd also think, I think it'd be cool in that one valley area where the king of the forest lives and the, the elven king lives, where they're kind of more wild elves and like, um, how do you call it? Like more primal elves. I'd, I'd like to play an elf 
like that more than the hoity-toity high elf. Yeah, I think that'd also be cool for a yeah. for a character if you wanted to play, yeah, like an elf barbarian. That yeah. would be pretty cool. Or an elf druid, too, or even a ranger, the classic wood elf ranger. But if mm. you wanted to be, yeah, really, really, you know, person of the woods, if you wanted to play the classic kind of character that seems to be popular for new players, especially the whole... Like, I was raised by wolves. I don't know any kind of... Right. I don't know what manners are. I barely speak common. If you did want to play that character, maybe don't. But if you <laughs> did, this would be a good way to play it as an elf. Yeah. yeah. Because usually you don't think of elf when you think of that character. Yeah, I think that would be a fun quest, too. Yeah. Like, just dealing with these people. Maybe you have to travel through their land, or maybe they have something you need to get, or maybe they've been... You know, someone poked the bear mm. that was them, Yeah. and now you have to kind of come in and stop them from raiding the towns or something yeah yeah i think that'd be really cool and like yeah if you have an elf pc who is a bit more like the socialized elf and the like hoity-toity elves kind of like interacting with this other culture within their within their spectrum would be kind of interesting yeah it could be fun you could have a lot of dynamics like maybe your more classic elf or if they're playing a high elf or something you know really looks down upon them and doesn't think it's worth saving them right and then you get like this whole arc where maybe at the end they come around and they're like okay wild elves i like you now or they feed into it i don't know it could be interesting maybe the wild elves kidnap them Hmm. it's a good place to have i'm kind of a sucker for the you know like druid of the old ways right sacrificial ceremonial sacrifice and all that stuff it's a good place to have that yeah and it yeah. involve elves yeah i think it could be cool if your parent players have just been in water deep and they're leaving water deep and this is quite nearby to have these kind of elves who are keepers of like the old forest and nature and stuff in this place that is like becoming more and more farmland and more and more developed and have that kind of like last bastion against uh, the urban sprawl true Another funky one that this would create, uh, this would involve some DM fiat, but Mm -hmm. uh, could be a fun one, is play a warforged, but be an awakened tree that these wild elves awoke. And the wild elves, uh, yeah, I think reflavoring warforged as tree ants is uh, something I've been obsessed with this past like six months. I think it's a that's really cool. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a great way to allow a player to have the mechanics of a warforged without having to figure out why robots exist in your world. <laughs> yeah. And there's no tree ant race, so I think this is good. You know, their sentries rest is them; they sink their roots into the ground and absorb nutrients. Mm. But uh, yeah, you know, someone poked the bear or something, and you were sent, you were awakened, and during your thirty days of charm, they were sending you out to you know do like nefarious wild elf things attack a trade caravan here harass people traveling through your home region there and then at the end of the 30 days maybe you went to attack some people but you were like before you attacked them you happened to catch them like talking around their fire like i'm imagining these elves really not liking when people pass through their domain right Mm -hmm. that's what i think of when i think of you know like wild cultures you know but maybe you stopped at the edge of the fire edge Mm -hmm. of the light and listened to their conversation for a while and it like interests you and you were like huh funky and so instead of killing them you ran away and you went to whatever city they were talking about going to or coming from Mm -hmm. i think that could be a really cool one and maybe uh you know you're afraid to go anywhere near this part of the world in case the wild elves find you again oh yeah yeah you don't want to go home yeah they don't want to take you home yeah and then i think in succumber then you kind of did this more or less with your character in that one in the one campaign we play but in Zucumber, where they have, like, the bar known for this really famous song, you can have it where, like, 
that song's getting old. That song has been played out for a couple of years, but your bard is the one who makes the next hit. But like people don't know you as the bard, as the person making the hit. They just know the hit song. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that could be fun. Yeah, where like the, the fame of your song outgrows you as a bard into the next town. So if you can convince people you're the original, then like they're amazed. But it's a way of playing like a famous person without like having an immediate like, oh my gosh. You're the most famous person yeah, ever. So uh, you could also play like Amelior, the wizard who lives here. You could play his like apprentice, and you're going out for real world. You know, it's uh, your thesis stage mm-hmm. where now you have to go around and experience the world before you can uh, mm. graduate, or you've just finished your training with Amelior and you're setting out on an adventure to put your magic into practice. Yeah, yeah. You could be like you're go if you're playing a Waterdeep campaign. You're going to Waterdeep to like I don't know learn from a black staff or to from a high wizard in Waterdeep. you know like it's cool in these kind of surrounding areas that you have the big city and sword coast like right there like you could have this real kind of like yeah. you come from more humble backgrounds going to this like big city you know like why like yeah why are you going to this big city and being playing in Waterdeep, playing Waterdeep dragon heist you don't have to be like uh, someone from a big city or from Waterdeep. you could be what from like this smaller town nearby sure all right, perfect. You could run a campaign here against hobgoblins from Succumber if maybe, you know, mm-hmm. the uh, uh, offerings, the tributes they've been leaving have become not enough, and so you got to go fight hobgoblins. Or you could do something with... That's it for a journey today. Remember, if you're a bard and you forget what to play on your set, you can always play the hits. Next episode, we'll cover Daggerford. Thank you, Lily, for joining uh-huh. me. And blend us with the theme music, Around the Fire. You can find them on Bandcamp. Links in the description of the episode. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, and have a great long ride.